Hello, Bridgetown. This is Tyler Staten of Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg in Brooklyn, New York. I'm standing in today for my very good friend, John Mark Comer, and this is the Bridgetown Daily. So today for our daily, I want to walk us through Psalm 46, which has really been an anchor for me throughout this crisis and these very strange days. Um, Psalm 46 is most well known as that psalm that ends, be still and know that I am God. But we usually skip to that part and ignore the lines that lead up to it. So I want to walk us through line by line through the first four verses of this psalm that give the proper context for the sort of stilled peace um, that we are given access to before God. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 46, and we'll just walk through line by line. This ancient prayer begins this way. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. So the prayer begins by remembering who God is. And that's where all prayer has to start, because all prayer happens here in the world. And life in this world is just constant barrage of frustration and fears and lies and grabbing for control and an endless variety of ways for my plans to fall apart. So if prayer does not begin with the reality of God, it accidentally begins grounded in the reality of this world. And so here's what the psalmist remembered that frames all the requests that are going to follow. God is our refuge and strength. That's who we're talking to. He is a hiding place and a sustainer in the midst of trouble. He is where I can run when fear and frustration and grief seems overwhelming. And he's also the one that gives me the strength just to bear another day to do what I need to do today when my strength doesn't seem like enough. Which one of those do you need God to be for you today? Maybe both. Continuing on, therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Since Easter, I just can't stop thinking about those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. If you don't know the story, it's in Luke chapter 24. Jesus actually preached a sermon on the first ever Easter Sunday, but it wasn't in the temple or on a crowded hillside. It was on a dusty road with a couple disappointed, disillusioned ex-followers. He catches up to them as they're walking and says, what are you two talking about? And they don't recognize him straight away, so they respond, Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know the things that have happened? Now, of course, Jesus knows what's happened. I mean, he was the one at the center of the public trial. He's the one that was taunted and mocked. He's the one who got crucified. So, yeah, he knows exactly what went down. But still, he says, what things? And that is one of the most overlooked quotes of Jesus, in my opinion, because he knows, but he's still saying to them, I want to hear you say it. I know the facts, but I want to hear it from your perspective. I want your brand of disappointment, your world that's falling apart, your fears about the future, all the ways you're trying to convince yourself that it's fine. I want to hear you say it. 
And that's what I hear God saying to me all the time at the moment. And I don't think I'm the only one. Because the adrenaline has worn off. Right? I mean, when this, when the news of this crisis started to roll out, I was responding basically like every other Christian leader I know. I was trying to rework every norm that we had in our church. I was trying to replan all the plans we'd made. I was trying to call the church to be the hands and feet of Jesus in this suddenly desperate world. And now the adrenaline has worn off. And I remember standing alone on the balcony of my apartment on Easter Sunday evening after I'd put my kids to bed and I realized that all I had or that I had already given all that I had to give and we weren't anywhere near the end. The adrenaline's gone. And when that happens, then all the subtle fears that that adrenaline covered over just bubble up to the surface. How long can I really keep these people connected on a video chat? How long until people get bored of my little live stream and just turn to the next channel? How long till my kids can't take life without friends anymore? How long until someone in my family gets sick? How long until my staff, my leaders, my whole congregation realizes This guy had a couple talking points at the start, and that's it. He has no idea where he's going either. And you've got your own versions of those fears. The earth's giving way. The mountains are falling into the sea. The waters form, or the waters foam. Psalm 46, verse 4. The next verse. So important. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. There is a river. That's about the Holy Spirit. See, there's this amazing prophecy in Ezekiel 47, which which you should go and read, but it essentially says this. There's water flowing from the innermost room of the temple, and what's just a trickle where that water begins becomes a river deep enough to swim in as it flows east. And alongside the river, there's fishermen that gather because there's fish of every species swimming in its current. There's fruitful trees lining the banks. The fruit feeds the nations and the leaves of the trees heal disease. And then that river empties into the Dead Sea. And it's called the Dead Sea because nothing lives in it. The the Dead Sea is 25% mineral, so no fish of any kind can survive in the water. But when this river pours into that sea, it purifies the water so that fish of every kind are swimming in it. And a once lifeless place is now teeming with life. See, what this psalm is saying is that the Holy Spirit supplies everything you need in the moment of trouble. And the Spirit's power has always had a magnetic attraction to desperate people who were totally out of options. I mean, remember Peter and John walking into the legalistic temple that uh, doesn't even think healing is theologically possible, and then they stand up a paralyzed man from who is barred from entry, and he's dancing in the front during the opening worship set? Remember Paul and Silas in a jail cell? breaking into a duet of amazing grace. And the next thing they know, the floor's rattling and all the doors open. And before the sun comes up, they're baptizing the prison warden in his own bathtub. I mean, there's so many stories about prayer meetings during the church's peaceful growth. But then there's that one that shook the foundations. And when did that one happen? When the council had the apostles arrested and flogged and said, it's only going to get worse from here if you ever say the name of Jesus again. 
So, you know, here is what I think the question of the moment is, is will you come deeper into the river? Because I've got this sneaking suspicion that I'm not the only one who has an instinct to grab for control, to make plans, and to try to salvage what I've got from my own previous agenda. But I think this moment calls for people who are willing to acknowledge my best is not enough, not even close. But there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And here's where the power of the Holy Spirit always starts, where your power runs out. When you hit the ceiling of your own planning, your own gifting, your own capacity, your own strength, your own ability to hold it together, then the power of the Spirit has a chance to kick in, and we have a chance to really rely on the Spirit of God. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Where are you looking for the sustenance to make it through this day? See, from there, the psalm gets more familiar. It goes on to say, God is within her. She will not fall at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Come see what the Lord has done. The desolations he's brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the earth. And finally, there's this repeated phrase in verse 7 and verse 11. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You have a protector. You have a hiding place and you have a sustainer. You have a shelter you can run to when you just need a place to hide away. You also have a sustainer who supplies exactly what you need to carry on for another day. So Bridgetown, I'd love just to lead you in a prayer as we close. And wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I just invite you to place your two feet firmly on the ground, remembering that you're a person fixed to this creation that God has made. And open up your hands in front of you in a posture that says, I'm coming empty-handed, but I'm here to receive whatever you have to give, God. And just to breathe in deeply. And breathe out slowly. As you breathe in, to think of the breath that God breathed in your lungs at first, a symbol of his image, of his love, to breathe in the love of God. And as you exhale, to breathe love right back to God. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Let me read it one more time, but take the liberty to make it a bit more personal. Be still and know that I am God. The Lord Almighty is with you. The God of Jacob 
is your fortress. Amen. Much love to you, family.